0: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking Man U and Weston, a weekend preview, Hell is Real, uh, Pulisic, Pulisic's dad, Cascadia, House of Dragon, and a very special interview with, well... Potentially the number nine when it comes to the U.S. men's national team, uh, the great uh, Brandon Vasquez, who may or may not be getting called into the national team, but that'll be fun to see, and so much more. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this? And we were recording this on Tuesday, August 23rd in the year 2022.
1: I am doing well. I'm getting used to this two podcasts a week arrangement. Well,
0: we're, you know, we're trying. There's so much soccer, uh, as we all know, and we're trying to be as relevant as possible. And it's it's impossible to cover it all. But we're we're trying and we hope that, you know, sometimes less is more. But in this case, we hope that more is more when it comes to what we are putting out. Uh, I know it's, it hasn't been a long time, but anything uh, that you saw over the last 24, 36 hours?
1: Well first off thank you to your mother who sent me an excellent uh New Yorker interview with Vince Gilligan the creator of two of my favorite shows of all time Breaking <laughs> Bad and Better Call Saul um I'm so.
0: con- I'm convinced my mom listens to this pod for you uh w- without a doubt and she's she always al- always asks me about you and she's always uh, concerned about what's going on and 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 she takes your word as gospel when it comes to some of these things so yes she had she'd had heard you talking about uh Better Call Saul, and the end of it, and uh, boom, there it was. And so I woke up in the morning, and there was the link, so I sent it on through to you. So I might just put you guys in touch so you can cut out the middleman here.
1: Makes sense to me. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, I mentioned on our previous podcast that I had to work late Sunday night, so I yes. didn't get a chance to watch House of the Dragon that night, but I did watch it on Monday evening, the first episode of the and? Game of Thrones prequel. Don't, uh, don't
0: blow it for me, because you know who knows how many years from now I'm going to actually watch it, but go ahead.
1: Uh, I liked it. Got me back into that world. Uh, I'm looking forward to the is rest it of this. Money
0: well spent because the amount of money evidently has that has been spent on you know the production of this is astronomical.
1: Uh, I think it is well spent. Yeah, the ratings were phenomenal and people were into it. So um, I think HBO is going to get its bang for its buck here. Um, yeah, the Targaryens, huh?
0: Right. Okay. Um, I have. I have not watched. Much, but I did start another book. I told you about the book I was, the other book I was reading, but I've started another book called "Freezing Order: The Story of Money Laundering, Murder, and Surviving Vladimir Putin's Wrath." So uh, that should be uh, interesting and very timely, given uh, what's going on in the world uh, world right now. So I'll tell you how that one goes, but um, it's not necessarily a recommendation because I'm not through it yet. But uh, I'm interested to see uh, how it goes, and it was recommended my by, my. By, uh, by my doctor, by my doctor, got got some knee problems, Mossy. It, it happens to everyone, so you know. Uh, well, we'll we'll see if we can uh, fix that. But if nothing else, I got a good book recommendation out of uh, out of the appointment. Uh, you ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right, let's dive into it. We mentioned on uh, the uh, the pod earlier in the week that we were recording before the big Manchester Liverpool game. It came, it happened, and happy days are here again. When it comes to Manchester United, they rolled back the clock. Uh, They looked inspired. They obviously got the result against, yes, a weakened Liverpool, as I'm sure all the Liverpool fans will (laughs) rightly point out. Uh, But uh, are, are we justified in our excitement and joy, some joy, not everybody has joy, but excitement about what happened in this game from a Manchester United perspective?
1: Yes. I think it was a real step in the right direction. The interesting thing is that it came with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Harry Maguire not starting. Mm-hmm. In the case of Ronaldo, he came on late, uh, but United played with the real intensity and a real energy. And some people wondered if that performance would have been possible with Cristiano Ronaldo on the field.
0: So, you know, this whole narrative of the intensity and the spirit and the grit and all of that, I, I get that. And yes, there that, that was on display. And I guess, I mean, it's gotten so low that, that we are scraping the bottom of the barrel that a little bit of spirit or grit from uh, Manchester United is looked at as a step in the right direction. Um, is is that enough, though? Is that enough for a team like Manchester, U, Manchester United? Uh, to, and is it sustainable? Because we all know that you can fight and scratch and do all that kind of stuff. But at some point, if you can't get the ball and you don't have possession of the ball and you're not creating creating chances, it doesn't matter. We've all seen that guy that runs a hundred miles an hour and slide tackles and the and everybody goes crazy. And I know it's there's a visceral reaction to that type of physical aggression. Uh, and I, I'm I'm susceptible as just like anybody else. But it's not, it's not sustainable. And eventually people figure it out. So is it is it is it good uh, or is it just covering up the cracks?
1: Well, as far as uh, winning and retaining the ball, Casemiro could help in that regard. That's true. They, they paraded him around yep. uh, before this game. And yeah, this was a unique matchup in which they faced a team like Liverpool and they scored a goal early. So they were on the back foot for most of the game, protecting their lead and everybody was okay with that. Yeah, most weeks in the Premier League, Manchester United are going to be facing teams where they have to uh, try to impose themselves and, and provide more of the offensive impetus. And so, yeah, all that spirit and energy has to be mixed with some real quality to break down the opposition, which I think they do have. I saw the makings of a really good team there with Sancho, Rashford, um, Ilanga, Martial, Bruno Fernandes, Christian Eriksen. So I do think even without Ronaldo on the field, if Eriksen can get the most out of all those players I mentioned, that you will have that blend of energy
0: and quality. Yeah, I mean, I think you would agree, not out of the woods yet, but there, there is a, uh, a fragile aspect of this Manchester United, even, even in victory. And keep in mind, Manchester United, with that win, actually went above Liverpool. And so, spinning it back around and looking at Liverpool, I don't think people are are worried about Liverpool, but this was a dour, um, uninspired type of Liverpool. And I know they don't have all of their players, I, I get that, but still, I mean, even had Virgil van Dyke that just looked completely out of sorts. Uh, and and in general, that that team did not look like a Klopp team and did not look like a Liverpool team.
1: Yeah, that that midfield three of Henderson, Milner, and Elliott was very suspect. And James Miller, instead of yelling at everybody else, maybe pick their own <laughs> game up because he was just as much a part of the problem. And yeah, I agree with you. Van Dyke really struggled. And and where the absences really hurt is up top because I know Lisandro Martinez is getting a lot of praise for his play, and deservedly so, but he did get the best possible matchup from a Liverpool center forward in Firmino, a guy who's not that explosive and not that physically imposing. Had it been Darwin Nunez, I know there's this raging debate about Lisandro Martinez's size and does that matter? And some people point out that the likes of Cannavaro and Puyol have succeeded. uh, And others think, no, like Jamie Carragher thinks it will be an issue having a center back that small. Against Darwin Nunez, I think it would have been an issue and he didn't have to face that. So uh, United were somewhat fortunate in that regard. I I will say... um, There are players on Manchester United that are not that good and players who I think are really good and have just been dragged down by the black hole that that club has been the last year or so. And to me, Sancho and Rashford are exhibits A and B of the latter. Uh, I still rate both those players very highly. Uh, There were rumors recently of PSG wanting to sign Rashford. Some people were surprised by that. I wasn't. I think everybody looks at Rashford as a guy that changes scenery somewhere else, could still blossom into a star, and maybe he'll get himself sorted at United under Ten Hag, and same for Sancho. So I was happy to see both those guys score because I still rate them very
0: highly. Uh, So thumbs up or almost up when it comes to Ten Hag, certainly in this this game, but... I mean, I just I I thought it was so fascinating to see the reaction to, like we said, the the aggression and the spirit, because those types of words and that type of game, to be quite honest, is kind of viewed as regressive and (laughs) caveman esque. But I don't I think it's I don't think it's generational. I think I, I think it I think it influences and impacts and resonates regardless of age. When you see it out there, when you see hard work, when you see the things that we have a hard time defining, which are spirit, and yet when we see them out there, we know them. I think, I think that, that it doesn't matter what culture, I think it doesn't matter what time, it doesn't matter what age you are, that, that type of stuff is timeless. But as we said before, it, it only lasts so long.
1: You know, one other thing that's worth highlighting in the Premier League, they've tweaked the way they do offsides and it's tripping up a lot of commentators because we've grown accustomed in England to, uh, if anything, it's the other way where we used to see plays where to the naked eye, it looked like the guy was onside and then VAR would uh, do offsides and we'd all the be lines furious. Would, yeah. It it's kind of seems to be going the other way this season. If you watch the Arsenal-Bournemouth game, an Arsenal's second goal in the buildup to it, Saka played this ball to an overlapping Ben White. And when they showed the replay, it looked like Ben White was definitely offside. The announcer said, oh, this is going to come back. And then they did the VR check, and he was on. The goal stood, the Odegaard goal. And this one, the United second goal, when, when Martial plays it to Rashford, he scores. Right. When they showed the replay, I don't blame, uh, I think it was Lee Dixon for yep. saying right away, oh, that's going to get chalked off. And then it turns out he was on. And the reason is they've got what they're calling the tolerance level now, where if the lines connect, then the guy's on. Even if the defender's line is a smidge ahead, but if they touch... Yeah. Uh, then the guy is on. So right. that's their effort but they're just to give moving the line, some right? benefit of the doubt to the striker. Yeah, I
0: mean, so that's it. The tie goes to the runner, right? Uh, right. And that I, I, I want that. I think everybody wants that. Okay. Nobody wants goals to be called back. We want to encourage attacking, we want to encourage goals when it comes to like that. So, but you're still just moving the line,
1: ultimately. And, and you're still going to have the like Gabriel Jesus had a goal chalked off against Bournemouth for like a millimetric. And some people were like, oh, the lines are virtually touching. You should give that to him. So <laughs> See, you know, And, and, like... and they're right back where we started. <laughs> oh my
0: goodness. Um, all right. So so good. But, you know, the jury's still out. When
1: and one last out. thing on Ronaldo. There's all these reports now that United are willing to let him go. You still have to find a club. Yeah. To, it's not like they've been turning down offers for him all summer. Nobody has stepped up. And so if, if that doesn't happen the next few days, they're stuck with each other this season. And he's got
0: his... Uh, um, press conference, right? Coming up where he's going <laughs> to like uh, the uh, Al, Cap- Al Capone, the decision or the Al Capone volt or whatever. I don't know. He's going to show us exactly what is going on in the world when it comes to uh, Ronaldo. I don't know. I don't know. Well, good for Manchester United uh, to throw this thing on and said This is, you know, we talk about the lack of parity that exists in a lot of the European leagues. that And, and there is certainly a lack uh, relative to MLS. But you're seeing why this is the most popular league in the world and this type of excitement and all of this intrigue and theater that goes on, on and off the field. There wasn't as much um, intrigue off the field when it comes to, you know, the, uh, the Glazer Out type of stuff that was going on. You know, there was plenty of signs and all that kind of stuff, but it didn't interfere ultimately uh, with the game. And by the way, you just paraded... Casemiro around the uh, the field that they uh, used plenty of money on. He looked like uh, it, it was a very expensive suit that he was wearing. So <laughs> he, he can afford it. Yes, he can, and he's going to be good. All right, what do you want to go uh, go to now? Uh,
1: game in Italy. I want to mention uh, Sampdoria. Juventus finished nil nil. Weston McKinney started, played about sixty minutes, taken off. Uh, did not play that well, but he wasn't alone. This was an overall drab game. Yep. Not much going on. Um, Juve, you feel like they're already dependent on Angel Di Maria, who just arrived this season, played very well in their opener against Sassuolo, but got hurt, uh, missed this game. And you, you already kind of found yourself thinking, boy, they really missed Di Maria, a player that just arrived. Um, so, but yeah, uh, not a lot of uh, inventiveness from this Juve side. Some questions about Allegri already. You know, these sequels don't always work out. I mean, we know tremendous first spell there, five straight Serie A titles, two Champions League final appearances. Then they dipped with Sadi, and then really with Pirlo. And they bring Allegri back thinking, okay, daddy's home. Everything's going to be back to normal. And yet they continue to struggle. So it makes you think that Juve's problems are deeper than the manager.
0: Uh, Shall we
1: spin it forward? Uh, Yes. Lots of games to look forward to. Uh, You want to start with MLS? Yeah, let's do that. Friday, we have an incredible game to look forward to. Austin FC play host to LAFC, one versus two in the West. I would say this is Austin's last chance to make this interesting. They're nine points back. If they win, they cut it down to six. Um, if LAFC win, then it's probably all over.
0: Um, well, and and the question would be from a LAFC perspective: Do you do you actually play all your players? Uh, and does this rotation stop? I mean, you are playing a, a team that is very good, but again, we talked about it on the last pod. Steve Tarondolo has decided that he is going to you know rest the players, and we'll see if that ultimately. Is a is a good thing. I want to see all guns blazing. I want to see I, these two teams go at it.
1: Yeah, they've been in this load management mode, and there's still this question out there of what does Steve Trinillo consider his best lineup? Yep. And this is a game where, in theory, you know he might be compelled to to give us some idea of that. But I don't know. To to your point, he he might still be stuck in this load management thing where you know. So who knows what lineup he's going to put out there?
0: Yeah, I mean. I, I hope he goes with, a, with the strongest lineup that he could possibly plan from, from the start. And even th- saying that, um, I think Austin's going to be up for this. And it would not surprise me in the least if we don't see LAFC losing back-to-back games.
1: If Austin wins and Drew, so has a big game, maybe scores a couple goals, mm-hmm. I think he really then separates himself in the MVP
0: conversation. Yeah, let's we'll see. Um, let's go to Cascadia, right? It's upon us. Uh
1: Yeah, Portland facing Seattle also on Friday. Uh, Both teams uh, below the playoff line right now, one point out of the last spot. Um, This is widely considered the best rivalry in MLS, but a few weeks ago, you got everybody upset in that part of the country <laughs> by claiming that you uh, think El Trafico is better, and then you gave your explanation, something about them being too provincial, and they all got upset. And why don't you remind us all of...
0: <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, I, I lose track of uh, the things that I've said that have gotten people up, upset. Yeah, I mean, this is still must-see, and I'm I'm certainly going to watch it, especially considering where both of these teams are. I think it is... Uh, <sighs> You know, Seattle, we've talked about how they were actually very good against the LA Galaxy and still weren't able to get the three points. Now they have to go against a desperate Portland, a reeling Portland after getting their ass handed to in, uh, in Kansas City. And both of these teams obviously need points. I mean, we are looking at a situation where one or possibly both of Portland and Seattle certainly of, of late and when it comes to Seattle of, for a long time, our perennial playoff teams not making the playoffs. And man, oh man, you think that uh, Portland and Seattle are insufferable now. What if, what if their teams don't make the playoffs too? My goodness, what will they blame then? I don't know, but I'm going to watch it uh, either way. I think, this, I think the desperation, it's, it's like a, uh, a measurement of who is more desperate right now. Tied at 33 points, sitting at 10th and 9th, respectively. I think Seattle's more desperate. I think they have to kind of, and not even show others, like show themselves that that wasn't an aberration what we saw against uh, LA Galaxy. And coming into Portland, their biggest rival, and smacking them around and getting three points, that would really be a benchmark. That would really be something to say, okay, this Seattle team is, is back and look out.
1: And the stat I love, uh, one of these teams has come out of the West every year since 2015. The last time, it was 2014, the LA Galaxy. But from 2015 on, it's either been Seattle or Portland representing the West in MLS Cup. Amazing. If both of them don't make the playoffs, then I guess that streak is over. <laughs> I guess. Um, uh, moving to the Eastern Conference uh, Saturday game, we have an eye on the Red Bulls facing Inter-Miami. Inter-Miami, three wins and two draws in their last uh Five, both these teams above the line right now. We'll see if Inter-Miami can keep this uh, good form going.
0: And we said that, you know, the men in pink, uh, they're not perfect. They are, you know, susceptible and flawed, but they are sitting in a position that, you know, not too long ago, I don't think a lot of us thought they were going to get to, if not for some big decisions uh, ultimately. And the Red Bulls are just quiet as a mouse, just doing what they do without a whole lot of fanfare, without a whole lot of attention uh, and sitting in fourth place at, uh, at 41 points. They're not sexy. Um, they are not even necessarily relevant, but they don't care at this point. And ultimately, people are going to have to sit up and pay attention to them when they make the playoffs. Um, and they will make the playoffs. And for them to come right back after Miami had such a big win, and for them to beat a team like Miami, which I guess in the greater scheme of things, they should beat, that would be a nice little feather in the cap.
1: Uh, Hell is real. Cincinnati, Columbus, also playoff implications. Columbus, the last team above the line. Cincinnati, one point behind. You've got Brandon Vasquez, Cucha Hernandez. This should be a fun one,
0: huh? MLS at times has gotten some crap for manufacturing rivalries. And, you know, yes, you want it to be organic. But you also kind of need to push it in a direction, and you know this this writes itself to a certain extent with Cincinnati and Columbus. It hasn't been a great rivalry because of how bad Cincinnati uh, has been, and you know we're gonna we're gonna talk to Brandon Vasquez and we'll, we'll ask him about what is going on in Cincinnati and why this year has been so successful. But for them at home against Columbus. In this hell is real thing to come up with a massive performance, I think it would kind of stamp they need the points, but it would stamp um, a uh, a a sign of this is a legit team in 2022 with what they uh, have done against their biggest uh, uh, their biggest rival. So one point separates the two teams on either side of that playoff line. And, and it's not just them. We, we talk about this musical chairs all the time. It is just shaping up to be a fascinating run down the stretch here when it comes to the playoffs.
1: Can I just say before we move on from MLS? Of course you can. Um, if you watched our TV coverage this past week, and they were nice enough to promote our podcast several times. Right. But this whole TV podcast synergy is a two way street. And Sean Sullivan in the rundown, he sent this games to watch <laughs> this weekend did not include the FS1 game, Orlando NYCFC. I'm going to tell Zach Kenworthy that after we're done Oof, taping, he the, is going to be fierce. Sean exe- can expect a nasty email. Coming Exa-
0: well. The executives are not going to be happy <laughs> with that. Uh, well, do you want to promote it then?
1: Uh, Yes, we have Orlando versus NYCFC. Another fascinating matchup with playoff implications. Both teams above the line right now. NYCFC, of course, the uh, defending champs. Uh, They... Got back on track with a win over Chicago last time, Matt. We'll see if they can keep it going here.
0: Yes. So uh, we will be working that and watching all of these other games when it comes to it. Uh, what else are we watching this weekend, Mas? All
1: right, So let's uh, hop over to England. Uh, Arsenal looking to make it uh, four wins out of four. As we've talked about, the schedule sets up very nicely for them. They, they're they home to Fulham this weekend and then home to Aston Villa the next game. Yeah, Then they face Manchester United in their sixth game. But it's set up for them to have five wins out of five, although Fulham... Uh, have been pretty spunky so far this season. Five points from three games. They do have, of course, uh, two Americans, Tim Ream, the captain, Anthony Robinson. Uh, both of them have started games so far this season. So, fascinating matchup. You
0: know, a, a roster drop is upon us here relatively soon when it comes to the U.S. Men's Nationals. Do you think that Tim Ream is uh, involved in the uh, September friendlies? Uh, or is that ship sale?
1: My sense is no, but uh, he definitely should be more in the conversation than he is. Why? Why? Um, Well, as we talked about when we did our World Cup show with Stu, um, I I could understand why he tried out some other options and some younger players that he felt like maybe had more upside. But looking at the landscape now, I don't know. I mean, I would trust Tim Ream in a World Cup game just as much as a Carter Vickers or, you know, and, you know, obviously with Miles Robinson going down, you have to go further down the depth chart. So uh, I don't know. I think he should be in the conversation.
0: I mean, I I think that ship has sailed. But I'm still watching Fulham because of the American influence that we talked about Leeds and, and watching that. Uh, and I'm still, wa- I, I would probably watch this no matter what, but if there's an added interest story when it comes to having Americans and potential Americans that are going to be on that, uh, uh, on that plane to, uh, to Qatar come, come November and the, uh, the Man City Palace game in particular, because a lot of people feel that Chris Richards, who has yet to start and uh, really solidify himself. Could potentially be that other uh, center back, right?
1: Yeah, although if he gets on the field in this one, it could be a rough day for him. He'll be matched up with Erlen Holland and City looking to take out their frustrations well, after but being held to. What uh, better way
0: to confirm people's beliefs absolutely. that this is the guy? Because uh, there are so many people that say it's got to be Chris Richards. It's got to be Chris Richards, and you know, relative to an Aaron Long or, or, or others, it's all because of where he plays. And if, if he
1: is starting at the World Cup, he'll have to contend with Harry Kane in one of those games. Sure. So th- this is pretty good uh, <laughs> preparation for that, going up against Erlen Holland.
0: Yeah, but we we don't even know if he's going to start, let alone uh, you know get into the game at any any point. But I I kind of want to see it, and I want to see ultimately what he looks like in this uh, in this new environment. And he's still very young, he's still very inexperienced. That's not a reason not to take him or anything like that. But I, I, I mean, it would be a surprise if it wasn't like not anything other than a comfortable win from Manchester City against uh, Palace. Uh, Any other stuff you want to look at?
1: Uh, No, in England, uh, that's good. So Man City hosting Crystal Palace there. And then we hop over to Italy um, where Juventus will play host to Roma. Uh, Roma, by the way, won on Monday. They beat Cremonese 1-0 on a goal by Chris Smalling. Two wins out of two for them. I'm very high on this Roma team. I love the moves they made in the summer, including adding Paolo Dybala from Juventus. So he's going to be very motivated for this matchup. Roma has a very tasty front three with Dybala, Zaniola, and Tammy Abraham. So this is kind of an early bellwether game. I'm picking Roma to finish in the top four, and they can really make a statement here if they knock off Juve. So uh, this is an interesting one. Why do one you
0: think Juve let Dybala go? What, what, understand. I
1: understand. I think I love Dybala. I think he's one of the most underrated players. In the world. I know he's had some injuries and his production has dropped off, but still, I agree with you. He was treated somewhat
0: oddly there. It, it, I mean, even the reaction from Roma to Miala. I mean, that kind of says a lot in and of itself that they recognize that they are getting a gift from the soccer gods. There there has to be something going on more. But anyway, uh, yes, that would, uh, you know, it's a classic matchup. So we're excited for Juventus Roma and hopefully Weston McKinney continues to start, continues to get better. We know he's got a a, a bum wing, but I'm uh, theoretically, he he should be improving each and every uh, each and every game, and that he's starting I think says a lot uh, about him. Even though he's coming out in the in the 70th minute usually. Uh.
1: Uh, another good game in Italy. Lazio host Inter. Simone Inzaghi against his former club. Inter off to a pretty good start this season. Lukaku feeling right at home again, playing alongside Lautaro Martinez. So, uh, and Inter by the way, they thought they were going to sign DiBala and then let him slip away, and he ended up going to Roma instead. Um, so, uh nice weekend in Italy to look forward to. In France… What about Ligue 1? Uh PSG hosts Monaco. This is, let's be honest, this is just to see if PSG can <laughs> keep this going. They've scored 17 goals in their first three games. Yeah, in theory, Monaco is a team that could give them a game, although they've gotten off to a slow start this season. They do have Ben up top, who finished second in the Golden Boot uh, last season to Kylian Mbappe in Ligue 1. They have some good players. But I don't know. I mean, this to me feels like another four or five nil Neymar, Messi, Mbappe having a party. Um, I mean, I, that's just where we're at as far as. Do you, th-
0: Do you think, like, how good are they relative to everyone else? Uh, what is the disparity in terms of talent? If I told you, Mossy, that PSG for the entire league uh, season had to play with only 10 men, where would they finish? So
1: every game, it would be 10 versus 11. Exactly.
0: <laughs> that's a great question.
1: I still think they'd win the
0: league. <laughs> I guess it depends which player you're taking off the field, right? right? I guess, but that, I mean that's uh, and look, it, 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 playing with ten men, we look at it in a certain way, and and it can and it can be done. But I I don't think that they would change. I don't think they would bunker in or anything like that. I think they would still have plenty of the ball and kind of do what they needed to do. But yeah, to your point yeah. that even. If that possibility exists that they could do that says a lot about where they are.
1: You wonder when we're putting together this list of games to look forward to, if any league On game, I mean, do you just look silly trying to... Like, I even thought about this with the Bundesliga this weekend because Bayern faced Gladbach. We're off to a pretty good start. Mm-hmm. Seven points from three games. They've got Joe Scali. So, hey, maybe... But, you know, then it's like 4-0 Bayern in the first half and you look ridiculous for having, like, hyped that up as a quote-unquote big game. Well, so. that's why you want...
0: <laughs> To be a surprise, you want it to be a Manchester United beating Liverpool type of situation when it comes to the Bundesliga or Liga uh, out there. But chances are you're you're just not going to get it. Chances are you're going to get a lot of goals, but in a game that's really not that that interesting. Goals are interesting, and I love I love goals, but there comes a point where it it just gets old. Um, All right. Anything else in terms of what we're looking for? That's it. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, oh, yeah, we're going to talk to Brandon Vasquez. So don't go anywhere. All right. Welcome back. Uh, We're going to talk with uh, Brandon Vasquez, starting striker for FC Cincinnati. The man has 15 goals and 4 assists in his 26 appearances for Cincinnati. And that would in and of itself be interesting to talk to a great goal scorer from MLS. But there is a lot of talk that he is going to get called in to the U.S. men's national team with the upcoming window and friendlies. And that would be important because the U.S. men's national team is looking for this type of traditional striker up there. I think that this is this I I think he's going to get called in and I think it's going to decide whether he is on the plane to uh, to Qatar. Uh, He's a really interesting young man uh, and he's a really interesting player, both for Cincinnati and I think for the U.S. men's national team going forward. (laughs) Welcome, Brandon, to the uh, State of the Union podcast. Really appreciate you spending some time here. We know you don't have a lot of it. Uh, all right, we're going to get right into it. By the way, you look wonderful. You uh, I mean, you got you got this whole Clark, <laughs> Clark Kent thing going on. This is what you are off the field, and you get on the field, and you turn into, you turn into Superman. I'm going to ask you a question because this is the question that a lot of American soccer fans have right now. I'm assuming you want to get called into the U.S. men's national team, but do you think you are going to get called into the U.S. men's national team, and do you think that you have done enough? to get called in to the US men's national team.
2: First of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure and of course I want to be there. Um, I know a lot of players there. I feel like I'd fit in perfectly. And absolutely. I think I've done a lot, but I think also it's an endless work that it takes to be there and I don't think it's uh close to being done, you know. I think the work is barely starting and And, uh, yeah, I'm thriving to get there, and I just got to keep pushing, you know?
1: Uh, Brandon, be honest. Now that the World Cup is approaching and your name is being mentioned, are you checking what other strikers are doing, whether it's Jesus Ferreira in MLS or guys like Pifak, Pepe, and Sargent in Europe? Do you have kind of one eye on what they're doing as well and comparing them to you?
2: Well... I'm not going out of my way to check, but I do like follow MLS and USMNT on on social medias and stuff. So I, it does pop up on my feed every uh, now and then. So I, I feel like I'm pretty updated on how everybody else is doing. But I try to not pay attention to the buzz, like I said, and go out of my way to be seeing this kind of stuff. I try to just focus on myself and uh, not to compare myself. You know, I feel like that could play mental games. And uh, I just want to be the best that I could be and push myself to be the best I can be. Does
1: it bother you that in conversations about the national team, there's still a type of U.S. fan that dismisses what a player does in MLS and puts much more stock in what they do in Europe?
2: For sure. I think, I mean, everybody has their own opinion. You know, obviously, if, if a striker scoring goals in uh, the Premier League and in the MLS versus Premier League, then obviously some people will say that it's the player scoring in Premier League is better. But, you know, like I said earlier, it's something that's out of my control. I have to just focus on. On improving myself every day and hopefully I can be there in the Premier League one day why is this happening now
0: you you have you know look you, we you were recognized as talent at a at a young age you know Yet you, you were a duo national you played with youth teams uh yes, you sat behind you know someone like joseph martinez and so you're getting your opportunity right now but Is it is it a coaching thing? Is it just a maturity thing? Is it just a time thing? Why do you think this is happening right now in terms of you not just scoring, but scoring consistently and really kind of raising your game to a level that we just haven't seen yet?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think I think the stars have really aligned for me this year. You know, I mean, all my hard work that I've been putting in behind the scenes um, has kind of come to fruition this year, especially having a good coaching staff that has really believed in me from the second they've stepped here. And having their confidence, for sure, helps me step onto the field and perform at my best. And being with this uh, squad for uh, quite amount of time now, it builds the chemistry between me and the players that are surrounding me. So I feel like uh, the players surrounding me that are helping me succeed, are we just have good chemistry, you know.
1: Uh, Brandon you kind of already answered this anyway but I'll still ask it Uh, you were linked with Leeds United recently so is Europe something that you definitely see in your future and would it be England your your top choice if you could go to any league in the world
2: yeah I I heard about that um, for sure my my whole career my objective my goal has been to go over to Europe play in the top leagues of the world top teams of the world and be able to compete at the highest level possible and and yeah, of course it's still still one of my objectives and it's something that I that I want to be performing in one day. So yeah, um and like England, Spain, France, Germany, I mean, wherever wherever the best opportunity for me would be, that's that's where I'd be the happiest.
0: You have seen the good and the bad of Cincinnati. And when it comes to FC Cincinnati this year, regardless of ultimately what happens, I think it is going to be a success uh, and an improvement and a progression and an evolution right now. What do you think has happened and what has been that change of mentality? And obviously new coaches coming in. uh, but, But what what has that done to change the fortunes of Cincinnati this year?
2: Yeah, you uh like you mentioned the coaching staff coming in kind of switched everything around the whole culture of the club um of the team. You know, this year with the new coaching staff coming in, we were kind of clear on what everybody's role on the team was when we stepped onto the field. Last year there was a lot of moments where there was players questioning where they were supposed to be exactly and what transition of the game, you know, that kind of stuff and it confused a lot of players, but this year, everybody really knows exactly what they need to be doing. And that's that's helped the team a tremendous amount. And the hunger this team has to succeed and make history and not be a last place team is, is really shown on the field. So um, I'm very happy about that.
1: Uh, Brandon, not that many teams play with two up top anymore, but you have Brenner alongside of you. And you two have developed such a nice chemistry this season. You've both been very productive. Uh, do you like playing uh, with another center forward up there alongside of you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know. I feel like it makes it harder on the center backs as well. You know, um, if Brenner's dragging out a center back, it's easier for me to be running in behind or coming in the feet. And it, and with both of us playing really close together, it really confuses the center backs. Um, if one steps, it has, it makes them hesitate a lot. And especially having a player like uh, Lucho Acosta underneath us playing those balls in behind. It's, it's uh, I think it's a perfect combination. Me and Brenner, like you said, we have great chemistry and, we, we understand how we play, and um, yeah, it's worked for us.
0: My friend, hell is real. All right, it's coming uh, <laughs> again. It's wonderful to see this rivalry between Cincinnati and Columbus, and that that Cincinnati is Columbus is important. we got another one coming uh, this, this way. First off, how do you feel going into this game? And then more importantly, is hell really real in terms of this rivalry, the way that you feel it? Yeah, absolutely.
2: I think this is one of the biggest games of the year, and we played against them a couple weeks ago, and um, we didn't take a point out of that. We uh, we lost 1-0, and I think we have a chip on our shoulder now. We have this, uh, this this revenge feeling, and every time there's one of these hell is real games, you can feel it. You can feel it before the game. You can feel it when you get to the stadium. The tension is just a rivalry that's that's real. So, so, yeah, we're looking to take all three points this weekend. And I think uh, this team is is hungry. And, uh, yeah, I think I said 1-0, but it, it was it was 2-0, I believe. Do you feel like
1: you're a team that if you make the playoffs, you could be very dangerous with all the firepower you guys have? Uh, we know the MLS playoffs can be unpredictable. So is the mentality, let's just figure out a way to get in and then you kind of restart and anything can happen?
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, we just need to, I think we are a playoff team. I think we'd be a great playoff team. So if as long as... uh. We can get in there. Anything can happen, you know. Um, we've had incredible performances this year um, as a whole team, and if if we could have those same performances in playoffs, who knows how far we could go? I mean, we could surprise the league and, and get farther than anybody expects.
0: Let's spin it back to the national team. If you are called in, what do you think you bring specifically in the way that you play? And you've watched the U.S. men's national team play, so you know the the situation going on there. And, you know, even now with Jesus Ferreira, he plays the position very differently than you do. But what do you think that you can bring that is needed and missing when it comes to the U.S. men's national team for that specific number nine striker position?
2: Yeah, I think I bring a big big presence up top, a big presence in the box. And uh, I feel like I'm really good at my movement in the box and understanding where... My positioning needs to be uh, depending on the players around me. So I think I could uh, bring some strength and power up top and, uh, yeah, big presence for sure. Uh,
1: Brandon, you are still eligible for Mexico. There's an assumption that you would prefer the U.S., but what happens if Mexico calls you up first?
2: If Mexico calls me up first, then then I would have to talk to my agents and see if, if U.S. is matching the same thing. You know, I need to get together with my family and agents as well and make that decision. When it comes to that moment, but um, but yeah, like you said, I have to keep all doors open. I have to do what's best for my career, and um, and if Mexico calls and the U.S. doesn't, then then I'll have to make a decision then. But um, but yeah, you know, I I've said it before. I grew up in a Mexican family, watching Mexico national team games, and uh so I have Mexico in the blood. But I also grew up in the youth national team, and I know. Most of, the, most of the national team, the men's national team players, i played with almost all of them or against all of them. So I feel like I have a good chemistry there as well, and I fit in right away.
0: Do you believe that somebody playing for a national team ultimately has to feel something for the country that he or she is representing? And I'm not saying that you playing for Mexico, you wouldn't wouldn't feel something, but mm-hmm. the argument or the concern would be that someone like you Uh, that has these different opportunities. And you mentioned weighing the two uh, uh, and the balance there, that there could possibly be a mercenary element of it coming in. And I'm just going because this is the team that called me and I just want to play in uh, in a World Cup. And that can be incredible motivation. But do you believe ultimately, I guess is a much bigger question, that when somebody is playing for a national team, that ultimately it's because they want to play specifically for that country and they feel something for that country.
2: Absolutely. I think players get their best games out of them and as like a love for the country, passion like you said, I think there's players get the best game out of themselves when they have that um they have that hunger to help their country succeed and uh represent, you know, it's a it's a big privilege and I think it's something that nobody should take for granted.
1: Uh, have you had much communication with Greg Berhalter or his coaching staff? Have they let you know, hey, we're watching you. Keep doing what you're doing. We definitely are keeping tabs on you.
2: Yeah, exactly. I I talked to Greg uh, right before the June camp where there was a Morocco game here in Cincinnati and then uh, a couple games after that. Um, and he basically said the same thing. He, he said, keep scoring. Keep that rhythm going. And we have another camp in September and we could possibly be seeing you there. And a couple of weeks ago, we played Philadelphia. His uh, assistant coach, Anthony Hudson, came out to the game, spoke with him after the game. He's basically telling me what they want to see in their national team number nine and their starting position number nine and what they would like to see for me. And even though they play a different formation, they play with one forward and we play here two forwards. Uh, keep in mind what what they like as well in their number nine. So. Yeah, I've had a little bit more communication there.
0: You mentioned the coaching staff that come in and has fundamentally changed the, you know, the the tactics and I guess the philosophy and the uh, and the character of the team. And you've mentioned uh, Dominic Kinnear, an old friend, a legend when it comes to Major League Soccer coaching, who is the assistant coach there uh, next to Pat. So, what has he done specifically with your game to change you and make you the player that you are today?
2: Yeah, you know, we do we do video sessions we do we stay after training ends we work on finishing we work on hold the play and specifically yeah just all the small stuff that 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 makes me a better player that helps me uh get better performances for myself every single weekend the small details of where spaces are open to run into where when we're holding up the ball where we expect lucho to be all that kind of stuff that uh that helps me not have to think twice about what I'm doing next when I'm getting the ball already having plays resolved and, and that kind of stuff. It's, it's all helped uh, an incredible amount and has given me an incredible amount of confidence as well. So I think it's, it's shown that on the field for sure. Is
1: there some established world-class striker that you really admire that you would compare yourself to that you kind of try to model your game after?
2: Yeah. You know, growing up, Growing up before I was a center forward, I was actually a winger and I was like, I I idolized Ronaldinho, Cristiano Ronaldo. And then once I started playing uh, as a center forward, I was watching Benzema, Lewandowski, and then Lukaku, you know, trying to see players that are my kind of build and frame, you know, so I could style my play and I can take my, take the good stuff they use and integrate into my kind of, uh, my kind of play. So yeah, um, I would say Benzema and Lewandowski mostly out of anybody, yeah. All
0: right, a couple more questions and then we'll let you go here. Uh, FC Cincinnati, what happens this year? You make the playoffs? Yep, I, I 100% believe so. Okay. I think we, uh, we have the
2: capability to do it. We have the caliber of players and, and we could definitely be in there for sure.
0: We deserve it. Uh, and then this is my final question. Uh, you're a sneakerhead, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's say you get called into the National team, I mean, even, even if you don't, you know that the U.S. Men's National Team coach, Greg Berhalter, is a very, very public sneaker head, uh, and he's, mm-hmm. he's got game, okay? Yeah. Uh, if you had to go head-to-head with Greg Berhalter when it comes to your sneaker collection, <laughs> who would come out on top and give me uh, your favorite or a couple of your favorites that you have in that uh, incredible closet full of uh, sneakers that you have?
2: You know, I... <sighs> The only times I've seen Greg's sneaker collections when he's on the sidelines, so I've seen him wear Jordan 4s, Air Force 1s, and I love Jordans, so I would definitely have to pull out some Jordan 1s, you know, I've been collecting Jordan 1s since I was 15 years old, and I have more more shoes than I can count, um, so... I would hope to say me, but I don't know what he could be hiding in his closet. You know, he could have some fire back there that I don't know about.
0: <laughs> Do you have a prize possession when it comes to one? If I mean, if there was, God forbid there was a fire and you can only take one.
2: <laughs> I have these uh, these UNC colorway Jordan 1s that is a, is in a collaboration with the company Off-White. And those have been my favorites since uh, since the moment I've seen them. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, my friend. Uh, if you if you're if, if you get in called into the national team, and then if you are on your uh, on that plane to Qatar, I bet you there's some people out there that would love to give you some uh, special USA sneakers out there uh, and increase the uh, number of pairs in your uh, in your wardrobe. <laughs> uh, Brandon Vasquez, thank you so much for coming on the State of the Union podcast. I wish you all of the luck when it comes to uh, FC Cincinnati and this run up to the playoffs. Continue scoring, my friend. Uh, continue doing what you're doing. I think you're going to be called into this next camp. And I think that is ultimately going to decide whether you're on the plane to, uh, to Qatar. But uh, when you are, and I think you are, are going to be, best of luck with the national team. You have to a certain extent, earned this opportunity, but now it's up to you to take it. And from what I've seen so far, uh, it's been wonderful. So Clark Kent turning into Superman, uh, it's going to be wonderful. And maybe that (laughs) Superman will have uh, the American flag on his back come November and December in Qatar. Thank you very much, Brandon. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure. All right. Welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi. That was a really interesting conversation with uh, with Brandon Vasquez. And, and as I said, I, I'm really interested to see ultimately how this shakes out. I, like I said, I think he'll be with the national team. And if he is, you know, how is he going to fit in? Because just because you're doing it with a club doesn't necessarily mean it always translates and form his fallacy and all that kind of stuff. But we're going to put it to the test here if he gets called in to the national team. All right. Ask Alexi. You know all about it. Uh, all of our different uh, handles when it comes to SOTU with Alexi and Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. You know, our uh, podcast hotline at six five seven five four nine two two nine seven. That's six five seven five four nine two two nine seven. Mossy, what are the people out there want to know this week?
1: All right. First up, at Dang Irving says, I spent most of this weekend watching top five leagues. Apart from the EPL, I wasn't super impressed with any of it. Granted, each has their top tier, but middle tier didn't impress. In every league, how do you think LAFC would fare?
0: So we, we've talked about, I guess, the challenge and the problem um, between a lot of these top leagues and very, very top heavy leagues. And unless they are willing to do some pretty drastic types of things, it is not going to change anytime soon. There's a reason why the EPL is so popular because it's not as top heavy as others and things can happen. I don't know if that's by design. I think it's much more relative to the fact that they have a lot of ambitious and very rich owners that have come in. And want to do big, bold things. And they have the ability to do that and therefore be competitive with the traditional types of uh, teams that uh, that you have out there. I, I can't tell you to love or be interested in middle, unsexy, um, not super clubbish types of teams out there. Either You either like it or you don't. And sometimes there is incredible romance and beauty with in the in the in the weeds, but you know we only have so much time in the day. And as we said time and time again, there is a lot of soccer out there. And so being attractive to the super clubs and to the big clubs is is natural. When it comes to your question about about laFC, I always and I've got this question, it's evergreen. Where would this team finish here? and where would this team finish here? And it is a little apples and oranges, but I'll play the game, no problem. I think when it comes to the very best of MLS and right now in this year it's not arguable LAFC I think whether you like them or not you would you would say that they are the best team in the league. You know they would finish mid mid table in pretty much any league in the world I think. And you're going to say oh, how, how could I possibly do that? Well, I'm just saying with the talent that they have, the way that they play, you know the understanding of the game that they have I believe that they would do that, and I believe that they would adapt and figure it out. I also believe that it's, it's easier to come from a league like Major League Soccer and adapt and adjust to whatever differences and challenges that you have in you know, England and France and Germany. I'm not saying it's not competitive, and I'm not saying that at times there aren't better players that you are going to be playing against. But think of the challenges that a team coming over to Major League Soccer um, would would face in terms of the travel and the heat and all the different things that we talk about, uh, the no promotion relegation, all those different things that you would have to adjust to. I think it's easier going there. And therefore, when I'm putting those teams in other leagues, yeah, LAFC mid, uh, mid-table.
1: You would agree that for LAFC to finish mid-table and on top European League, Gareth Bale and Giorgio Kalini would have to play.
0: <laughs> yes. Load management. You guys are not playing in Europe, okay, <laughs> in any of these games that we play. All right, good question. And, uh, and one that we get a lot.
1: So. Yeah. Next up, at LAX 6 asks, what has to happen to get Pulisic to lead to this window? Can you text Jesse, please?
0: <laughs> I, I don't think I would need to text Jesse or anybody would need to... You know, twist Jesse's arm to get Pulisic. I don't. I just don't think that. I don't know. I don't know what's happening behind this. What would have to happen is uh, Christian Pulisic would be, have to be so desperate to get out that that is some place that he would say yes, I want to go. And as is, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, whether it's Leeds or anybody else, Chelsea has to believe that that is okay with what they're doing. I mean, for example, maybe it's maybe it's much more realistic in that if Christian Pulisic goes to Manchester United or something like that, you are making a rival that much better in terms of the upper echelon elite teams. If Christian Pulisic goes to Leeds, notwithstanding what, what happened over the weekend, I, I don't, I don't think that you are hurting yourself when I, when I'm thinking about it as a, from a Chelsea perspective by, uh, by doing that. So what has to happen? It just has to make sense for Tuchel. Uh, Holistic and more importantly, for for, uh, for Chelsea. I will say, before the
1: season started, when leads were linked with other American or MLS players, there was this feeling of, calm down, Jesse. They're not going to let you bring that many over. There's still this sort of reluctance to... I, I think the way the season started, the way Aaronson and Adams are playing, he probably does have enough leeway right now if he wanted to bring in another American. So the yeah. question would be if, if Well, Pulisic so that's the thing
0: that, that's happening right now. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's going to last. But right now, the credibility... For American players, I, I, in the EPL in particular, has is at an all-time high. In general, I think it's at an all-time, but in particular in the EPL, is at an all-time high. And when you have players like Aronson and Tyler Adams doing very well, and still early days, but also the credibility when it comes to coaching for uh, Jesse Marsh in the way that he, uh, that that we, the way he has looked at, and he understands that uh, he understands that the things that he does the things that he says and ultimately his performance are going to be scrutinized and are going to be used as evidence positively or negatively of what american players and or coaches uh coaches are going for so um but but i think i don't think i think christian Pulisic has kind of transcended in that He's a great player yeah. that just happens to be American. So I don't think anybody would, from an American perspective, in oh, I can't even believe he's bringing in all these Americans. Christian Politics, another, an outlier.
1: That's fair. That more yeah. applies to like a Brandon yeah. Vasquez. Yeah. Um, final question. Uh, Barry Matthew J asks, Any chance CONCACAF gets involved with the joint CONMEBOL UEFA Nations League to prepare for the 2026 World Cup?
0: Well, we know that from a U.S. perspective and a Canada perspective and a Mexico perspective, they will not be going through the traditional qualifying process. And that poses some challenges and and some problems. Um, you know, back in 1994, many, many years ago, we didn't go through a qualifying process. And so we just kind of traipsed around the world and played any and all games that we could get, whether it was domestically or internationally around the world in different places, any tournaments that we were invited to, uh, Copa Americas, uh, obviously Gold Cups weren't, were already part of uh, CONCACAF, but any and there were a bunch of you know cups around the world that we were invited to. We went to. Any chance? I mean, I think they're going to have to do something different and unique because of these three teams. But CONCACAF also doesn't want to give away these three valuable assets that they have relative to what happens in CONCACAF.
1: Yeah, I get this question a lot. Europe has walled itself off from the rest of the world with the advent of the Nations League. And so there's a lot of concern in South America about that. So now there's talk of uh, that the next UEFA Nations League is going to include South American teams, and U.S. fans are concerned about that because they felt like their path towards getting tougher games is some sort of CONMEBOL CONCACAF merge, whether it's U.S. playing in the Copa America or them creating a joint Nations League. And so that, that this guy's asking, oh, "Oh, wait a minute, can we get in on that, or otherwise we're going to still be sort of left <laughs> out here?" And yeah, I think it's a legitimate concern. But to your point, the problem is, you know, U.S. And Mexico fans sort of only think of themselves. Victor Montaliani has to think of all of CONCACAF and, you know, letting yep. the U.S. and Mexico go and compete in other federations competitions, you know, damages CONCACAF overall. So it, it's a complicated situation for sure.
0: But, you know, for Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride and whoever is the coach going forward into 2026, I mean, it's a it's a prized type of position. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll give a, a, a kudos to our friends um, over, there, over there at... Uh, Football Americas, uh, they had an interview with Greg, uh, with Jesse Marsh, and he brought up coaching the U.S. men's national team unsolicited. He brought it up out of, out of nowhere. So there is a recognition, whether it's Jesse or anybody else, that this is a plum type of job, especially because of what's happening in 2026, being able to host it. But you also are going to be challenged by not going through a qualification process. And so you're going to have to be really creative as to what you do to make sure that potentially the greatest generation of American soccer players when it comes to the men's side are adequately prepared for 2026.
1: I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I do find Jesse's path fascinating now, because what if he does an incredible job at Leeds and gets offered like a Manchester United, Bayern Munich type job? Would he prioritize that over the U.S. national team?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I I think he has his eyes set on the national team. And look, it, it may happen. I think if Greg Berhalter does well in this World Cup, gets out of the uh, out of the group, and does well, and it's roundly recognized as with well, a still young and inexperienced ex- group, a success, I think he's going to get given the opportunity to go uh, to 2026. And to your point, Jesse might have bigger fish to fry because if he continues to do this, he is going to get a, uh, a bigger, uh, a bigger job. And just because he's doing that doesn't mean that he would be good in the international aspect, uh, coaching the U S men's national team. But in a strange way, I can see that, that coaching the national team, the U S men's national team as great as, you know, coaching in the EPL and who knows how high he will go from a club perspective. I think that is, the pinnacle for uh, for Jesse. And because he, he you know, I think he still bleeds red, white and blue. And we talked about it on the on the previous pod that he doesn't shy away from it. He leans into it, as a matter of fact. And so I think he would be licking his chops for an opportunity to do that. And a lot of people that would love to see that. Hell, there's a lot of people that would love to see that right now, which I don't think is fair to Greg, uh, Greg Burhalter, But, you know, it's the case. Um, anything else, my friend? That is it. All right. Keep uh, sending us your uh, questions out there and using that hashtag and uh, using all the different social media platforms that we have. Remember SOTU with Alexi uh, on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and all the different things that we have out there. We have our own YouTube channel now. um, And of course, we have our State of the Union podcast hotline at 657-549-2297. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up the show with my one for the road. Okay, welcome back. And it's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give me my one for the road. Masi, have you heard this uh this story? Nowadays, I mean, you don't even have to say anything. All you can all you have to do is click on something and it becomes a story. Mark Polisic, uh, you know who he is? Christian Polisic's father. There you go, Christian Polisic's father. He is active on social media, as a lot of people are in 2022. And um people out there are always looking for something and mining to try to figure out and Infer uh, what is what is being said, even when things are not actually being said, and it, we come to find out that Christian Pulisic's uh, father, Mark Pulisic, at times has been liking some tweets that are, you know, critical of Tuchel and critical of the amount of time or the lack of time that Christian Pulisic is getting at Chelsea, and you know, it's turned into a a bigger a, a bigger thing here. Keep in mind that you know Mark Pulisic has. Obviously raised his son and raised his son, you know Mark was involved in soccer and has raised his son uh, almost to be a professional soccer player. I would think that both he and uh, his wife saw at an early age that he had an affinity and a skill and encouraged that in a wonderful way. And it seems that they have produced a well-rounded young man who obviously is incredibly successful so far and is living a uh, a really interesting and unique life. Uh, this is a father, I think, ultimately uh, protecting his son. And you know, I'm a father. I'm sure there's plenty of fathers out there. And yeah, you got to pick and choose your moments to uh, to stand up for your son. And even just you know, clicking on something like that, I think it was his attempt. And I'm not saying whether it was successful or not, but just a small attempt to recognize and to affirm the narrative out there that this situation is a problem, and that the relationship between Tuchel and Christian Pulisic, relative to playing, I'm not, I don't know about the, the personal relationship, who knows, that, as we said but time and time again, he is just not his cup of tea. And I, I get it. Uh, you know, my father... <laughs> never was involved at all in anything that I did from a soccer perspective. It doesn't mean he wasn't supportive. And it doesn't mean that at times when I was criticized or I was having problems that he wouldn't support. And if he had lived in the age of social media, when that was happening, he may too have pressed on a button here. But, you know, my, my father was not Uh, who was was the football player, Marinovich? Uh, Todd Marinovich. It wasn't like a a situation where I was growing up like that. I'm not saying that Christian Pulisic's situation is the same. However, you know, Christian Pulisic is now a man, okay? He is no longer the boy that we saw. Uh, He is in charge of his life. And Christian Pulisic, I think, is more than able uh, to fight his battles, whether it's on social media or in real life. I don't think that this should be a big problem, but don't think for a second that human beings involved don't see these things and it can't influence and it can't impact what is happening. And you are the father and you should recognize this uh, more than anybody. But I'm not coming down on him because ultimately, This is a father who loves his son. This is a father who sees his son in a situation that's difficult and wants to do anything in his power to try to rectify that situation. And that is love, all right? And that is support. And love and support sometimes can come in some very different and strange ways, ultimately. But you want somebody to have your back. And if your own flesh and blood doesn't have your back, then that's a problem. And whether it's putting their arm around you, whether it's taking a hit for you, or whether it's ultimately just pressing a button and liking something out there, it's all about love, it's all about support, and it's all about wanting good things. And I think whether you're a father or not, you can relate to that and you can understand that that's where ultimately that is coming from. I even think Tuchel could probably understand where that is, uh, is coming from. I don't think it's going to change the situation at all, but it also highlights how he is under a microscope more so than any U.S. player, let's be honest, in history. And everything that happens either directly or indirectly around him will be looked at and dissected going forward. And that's the price of being a star. And he is a star without a doubt. And so uh, to Mark Pulisic, uh, I love that you're supporting your son. I hope that you continue uh, to do that. Who knows where your son's going to end up? But guess what? Your son's a big boy. As a matter of fact, he's a man and he can stand up for himself. Uh, he doesn't need you to do that. And that's because of the way that you have raised him. So take pride in that. Mossy, uh, anything before we go? You know, I have never liked a tweet. I haven't. Oh, actually, <laughs> if you look at my Twitter feed, I've never liked a tweet except for one. And it says, Why don't you like tweets? So that's the one that I did. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Um, thank you. Thank you to uh, everybody for tuning in and listening. Continue to uh, rate and review and subscribe and do all that kind of stuff. Thank you, especially to uh, U.S. men's national team striker, I think, and obvious uh, FC Cincinnati striker Brandon Vasquez for coming on the show and talking about uh, you know the potential from a national team and the reality that is existing right now with uh, how well he is playing for FC uh, Cincinnati. Uh, look forward to next week when we have a special interview with the one and only Jesus Ferreira. So we have competing number nine strikers for the national team, potentially for the U.S. men's national team. So look for that uh, next week. Anything uh, before we go, Mossy? That's it. All right. Until next time, uh, this has been the State of the Union. And until next time, size the day. (laughs)